Can you hear me, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? Hey, I'm great. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Really. Thank you so oh, much. No worries. I got coffee and my vape. I'm ready to rock. All right, let's right go. on. I got some uh, green tea here, so let's do it. All right. All right. So uh, welcome to Sonic Dorms. Uh, my name is Max, of course. On today's show, I have singer-songwriter and uh, ro overall rock and roll gunslinger John Karabi. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Really How appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, really. Uh, we're about to head into our uh, my one-year anniversary doing this show, and uh, it really is a passion project of mine, inviting artists from all over the world to passionately discuss what they do best and their love for music overall. So thank you, really. No no worries. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You have uh, your latest single. It's uh, causing quite a stir just because uh, I think people are surprised by uh, not only how well-written it is, but it is kind of a departure for you. Uh, uh, Cosi Bella, which is uh, translated to so beautiful Italian, am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, that song in particular really, uh, I mean, it's kind of, you're right. I, I've read some articles. It is sort of like uh, your take on, um, it's very Penny Lane, Beatles influence, right? Yeah, you know, it, I think we're inspired by a lot of different, you know what I mean? And I, you, you know, the funny thing is like uh, uh, it, the, the response to the song has been great, but overall everybody says the same thing. Wow. It's not really what I would have expected from you. And, but the funny thing of it is, if you go back over my history career, whatever, uh, the last 25 or 30 years, like I I've always said that probably my biggest influence starting as a kid was the Beatles. So, you know, my, my, my top, my probably top four is the Beatles. Number one, Led Zeppelin, number two, Aerosmith, number three and queen number four. So when I took first brought this song to Marty, I was kind of saying to him, uh, you know, he, cause he said, he was like, you know, what are you hearing? I go, I don't know, man. I just really want to be musical. This is my first outing without having the confines of whatever band that I was in at the time. Um, so I just really want to stretch out a little bit and, and be musical. But he, he asked me like, well, what are you hearing? I said, I don't know, man, maybe something like Penny Lane or Killer Queen by Queen, you know, just something a little bouncy, you know, clever ish lyrics and um, he immediately got it, you know, after hearing the chord progression, he was like, okay, yeah, totally, totally see where you're going with this. So we had a little fun with it and it, and it has been really a great response, um, you know, but it, it just perplexes me that everybody goes, wow, it's really not what I would have thought from you, but you know what I mean? It, it's, it, it's just funny. So. I, I love your uh, I love for me personally, I'm a big fan of all of those bands you mentioned, especially Queen is my, my all time favorite band. So I love eclecticism in artists and an artistry, especially in rock and roll, where I think rock and roll artists are almost like put in a box in a way by a lot of their fans where it's like everything has to be just, you know, foot to the and, floor kind of stuff. And so. I've had I've had some fans in the last week or so since the song's been out write to me and say, Hey, I, you know, whatever, dude, I'm going to pass on this one. I thought it would be heavier. And I'm like, okay, well, that, you know what? That's why I'm doing one song at a time. You don't have to buy a record 
and and hear you know two or three great songs and eight that you don't like or whatever they call it filler you know whatever here the way i'm doing it now is one song at a time with a video put it out there fans that like it they can download it and if they don't like it they can pass and wait for the next one you know what i mean yeah well i I love what you're doing uh john really and you're you've mentioned uh just a while ago, you're working with Marty Fredrickson, who mm-hmm. has worked with a lot of uh, big artists in the industry, like Aerosmith, as a as a songwriter, as a co-writer for them. How did you um, hook up with him? Was that through your work with the Dead Daisies? I, I, I actually I've known Marty for I can't remember the name of the band, but Marty was in a band that opened for the Scream back when we first started, um, and I think there was you know, a thing with Marty and myself where we both kind of knew what the other was doing, but, you know, whatever. I saw Marty transition from player to producer when he started working with Brother Kane back in, God, this probably the 90s, you know what I mean? Early 90s. Um, so I watched that. And then I I saw he, he you know, through John Kaladner, he was introduced to Aerosmith. Um, and then the, you know, obviously a huge fan of the records that Marty did with Aerosmith and not only as a producer and the sounds that he was getting sonically, but he co-wrote songs like Jaded, you know, Just Push Play, like a lot of that stuff with them. So, um, when the Daisies were looking for a producer to work with the band, I kind of suggested, um, you know, living here in Nashville, I suggested Nick Raskalinitz, I suggested Michael Wagner, and I, but I suggested Marty. I said, you know, if we want somebody that is not only a producer who will get us great sounds, but he, as a songwriter, he's going to help us with our arrangements and possibly even help writing the song, which he did. Um, you know, and um, I so I liked working with Marty. I loved doing my vocals with him. He was really easy to work with. Um, you know, so I just took a shot at it and I just said, hey, Marty, like, I'm going to try and do a solo record. You Can you help me out? And he was like, yeah, sure, crap, you know, whatever. And we were at a lake here in Nashville. I own a motorhome, you know, and we were doing, you know, the typical shit you know we're sitting around barbecuing grilling having some cocktails smoking some weed whatever just looking at the lake and and he's like yeah dude all right yeah let's do this unfortunately covid hit and kind of slowed things up considerably but um you know we're we're moving at a snail's pace but we're moving i've got a bunch of stuff already recorded and ready to go and I'm still working like right here. I don't know if you could see it. Like I'm at home studio right here. Um, and um, that's where I record most of my shit now. Like Cassie Bell, I, I did probably 80% of it here in my bedroom, recorded it on a laptop. And I think, uh, you know, and then handed it to Marty. I emailed the files to him and then he sprinkles his fairy dust on it and makes it sound like I know what I'm doing. So um it's been great working with them. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, keeping my fingers crossed, looking forward to the future and, and see what all this stuff, I, 
because it all this new digital releasing thing is it's all voodoo to me i have no fucking idea what's happening you know what i mean yeah it's the wild west out there uh people are releasing like five singles before an album even comes out and by the time you've the album comes out you've already heard about half of it i i'm an um of the uh I grew up into the old school mindset, funny enough. So I, my personal preference is physical release. And I like listening to the records top to bottom, but you know, I don't know what it is, but you know, and, and in reference to, <clears throat> you know, I've been talking about this quite a bit now since I started doing this, but you know, I can understand a lot of people ask me, um, Hey, you know, Gene Simmons said rock is dead. Do you agree? Do you not agree? And I can see it from both sides on the part that I disagree with Gene is the fact that Gene's still going out and he's doing shows that are sold out every night of the week. Um, So the fans are still there, but unfortunately um, a lot of artists to get on radio is so fucking difficult nowadays um you know so that's for the most part for a, lo- a huge percentage of the artists from back in the day those days are gone radio's gone mtv is gone um you know and even to a degree album sales even though you and i like buying product and holding it you really think about over the last 10 years or so um all of your places that used to sell records like Sam Goody, Tower Records, Blockbuster, Kmart, Walmart, all those things, most of the huge chain record stores are gone. The mom and pop stores, the smaller independent stores are few and far between. And the ones that do sell records like Best Buy, Walmart, Kmart, they've kind of, they've kind of, uh, trim their list down where the only records they sell are the top 20 on billboard and that that's it and if you're not in the top 20 you know so it's kind of this weird catch 22 you can't get on top 20 unless everybody sells your record but you can't you know what i mean you can't sell your record because you're not on top 20 so it's a little bit of a weird thing so and what gene was talking about when he said it's dead is that all these venues that we had at our disposal before are gone. And now what's come about is the digital releasing and the things that the fans forget is, you know, yeah, my song right now. And I won't know for, I won't know for a few months. Casibella is kicking ass on all the streaming sites, iHeartRadio, Spotify, like all that. But is it translating into where the fans hear it on the playlist and go, wow, what a great song. I'm going to add this to my playlist, which they're doing. But are they going over to iTunes, Apple Tunes and, and Amazon Music where they can actually physically download it for 99 cents? Are they doing that? Um, and that's what I think Gene was talking about. He goes, until the fans realize that Kiss, Aerosmith, you know, guys like me, whatever, all these artists that they grew up listening to, this is how we depend on making a living. And if they don't switch over and hit that 99 cent button, it really means nothing. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I, so I, it's, I it's a weird world. 
Yeah, I always said, like, if you, you can afford, like, $8 on a Starbucks, you know, I, I think if you care about a song or an artist, I think you can, I mean, that much, you should be able to spend maybe a, a dollar or two on a song. I mean, at, at least that's me. But Yeah, and that was, you know, the other thing, the reason why, you know, Marty was actually kind of the catalyst for this, and 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 he really brought a lot of things into perspective for me. And, and he even asked me when I was, because initially I was going to do a record. and he, he just sat there and he goes, why? And I was like, you know, I'm sitting there going, is this a trick question or I'm a musician? Like, why wouldn't I do a record? But then he broke it all down for me. And then I talked to my manager about it and he said, no, he, yeah, he's right. You know what I mean? There's, you know, when, you, and then when you sit there and you look at bands like, you know, Kiss or Aerosmith that have just kind of said, threw their hands up and said, you know, What's the point? Why, why, why do new music? Nobody's going to buy it anyway. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it's, I, I don't know. It, it, again, like you said, it's the wild west just trying to figure it out right now. I'm a blind man in a closet trying to find the door. You know what I mean? I have no idea what's happening. I'm just trying it this way. Um, you know, and we'll see the only, the only glitch in this is normally I'd be out playing and I could have, you know, I could print up some vinyl or CDs or whatever and sell them at my shows. But that I have no idea when that's going to really fully come back. You know, so it's a weird time, man. It's very odd. So at the end of the day, Cassie Bell is out. Um, it's kicking ass on all your streaming sites. Hopefully it's kicking ass on the download thing. I won't know for a month or two until I get a report. But. As of right now, like everybody, this PR firm that I'm using, my manager, they're all sitting there going, fuck, man, song's kicking ass. So I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> hey, I, 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 you, it's well-deserved, man. You're, you've been a journeyman in rock for, uh, for a long time now, and uh, I've loved everything that you've ever been involved in. Uh, everything from your early work with Angora to The Scream to Crew. You're going way back, buddy. Yeah. Crew, Union, I mean, uh, Dead Days, the whole thing, man. You run, to me, you, uh, in another life, you're like, you're regarded as like the one of the all-time greatest, right up there with uh, with a Steven Tyler. Because to me, you are, man. You are that. You, your songwriting credibility, your, your, the, your vocal chops are phenomenal, really. Thank you, brother. Thank you. You know, and it's, it's, it's odd, man, you know, like, um, I've, I've done a lot of crazy things, you know, different bands. It's just the cards that I was dealt, you know, I mean, who knew when I was in the scream that my phone would ring and I'd get an invitation to join at the time, one of the biggest bands in the world. And then we go and we do a record that at the time everybody was touting like, Oh my God, this record's amazing. This is going to sell more than the black record, you know, and, and just on and on and on. And then who knew that they were going to bring Vince back? Um, Union, another, I truly believe it was a great band. We had some really great songs. Maybe not all of them. Not everybody's cup of tea. But the band was kicking ass. I mean, we were doing shows live, but we were in this weird thing where, you know, like all, all three of those records that I did were kind of right in this weird thing where music was changing. The Scream 
was just coming out when Nirvana was coming out. And then Motley was right in the crooks of everything. And Union came at the kind of tail yeah. end where they were, you know, they were going to boy bands and punk, like Green Day kind of stuff. So, you know, it that's just the cards that I was dealt. Um, and I tried to make the best of it. But I've always been this guy where there's no name recognition. I'm still trying to get over the hump. You know what I mean? Where it's like you, you fans will say, oh, man, check out this new song, Casi Bella by John Karabi. And they go, who? Wait, why does that name sound familiar? You remember that guy that sang with the Dead Daisies or sang with Motley Crue or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it clicks. But, um, you know, so I, I'm just trying to make my way, like I said, a blind man in a closet trying to find the door, you know, figure out where my my slice of real estate is in the, in the music world, but keep my fingers crossed. See what happens. Yeah, man, I'm rooting for you as always. I think you, you deserve all the accolades in the world. You really are a phenomenal talent. So I'm right there with you, man. So uh, anything that I can do to help support your, uh, your upcoming work, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go for it. Really. Oh, we're, we're doing it right now, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank so, you. Uh, um, I don't know if you have like a, a, a band camp or something that we can do or anybody that can do that can spread the word out so they can actually purchase your track. Uh, I'll definitely make sure of it. Okay. Well, it's in all the, I don't, I don't, you know, again, like I'm, I did I uploaded this song through a, a digital distribution thing called yeah. distro kid. And, and they've got a list of all digital outlets that they supply to. So, um, you know, it's out there. You know, I, I'm I'm sure if you type in Cassie Bella on on Google or John Karabi, like I I was just checking yesterday and it it immediately came up. Amazon Music, blah blah blah, iTunes, Apple Tunes, you know. So hopefully, um, hopefully it's doing well. But again, I won't know for another two or three months. So we'll yeah. see. Hey, John, I know you only have half an hour with me on the show today, but um, if you don't mind, I wanted to ask you just a couple of quick questions for me to go through a, a trip down memory lane with me uh, on okay. your history. Uh, there's a, a, a few things I wanted to ask you about uh, from your past. Uh, working with Eddie Kramer uh, on the Scream record, Let It Scream, what was it like? I mean, Eddie Kramer worked with everyone from Beatles to Bowie to Zeppelin, Kiss, Hendrix. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um... It was kind of intimidating. First guy that we ever worked with, you know what I mean? Or me anyway, um, you know, and he came in and, uh, but I'll tell you what, at the rehearsals, when we, we kind of, we just did a, a little showcase where we played four or five songs for Eddie. He had heard our demo tape, immediately called our record label and said he wanted to work with the band. Flew out to California, um, and we played like four or five songs for him. And he immediately made us feel at ease. And, um, but God, the stories that he would tell us, you know, uh, he would, he had this giant photo album. I, now, now he actually, I believe he has a coffee table book that he did with just photos that we saw in 1990 uh, and he was showing us these pictures of Hendrix backstage at Madison square garden with the stones, 
and he, you know, and just all these amazing photos and telling us these stories and, um, you know, and, and just a great guy. He was really easy to work with. Um, didn't change a lot about our songs. He liked the structure. He just allowed us to be who we were. But what he did is he broke every song down and he made sure that the bass drum pattern was working in sync with the bass guitar and made sure that my vocals, you know, at times accented something Walt was doing on the drums or the guitar wasn't stepping on the vocals. And it was all these just great things. And then he taught me this really killer thing about like EQ that I still use to this day um, when I'm mixing, not mixing, but when I'm doing my own music and, and he used Led Zeppelin as an example. And it was so fucking enlightening. Um, and it was something simple. Like um, he, he basically was telling us that <clears throat> when he was recording Zeppelin, um, a lot of these bands that came later wanted to get this massive Zeppelin sound so the guitar players were doing all this stuff and, and, and he, he would just laugh about it. And he kind of used it with us. He said, the thing with Zeppelin was on the grand scheme of an EQ, everybody had their place. And he said, so like Jimmy Page would set his guitar up loud. It was loud. But what he did is he rolled all the bass off and all the treble up. So he goes, it was all, it was like really almost annoyingly bright. And then Bonham tuned his drums the way that he did. And then John Paul Jones took his bass and he would roll the treble off and the bass all the way up. And he said, individually, if you listen to them, eh, not so good. But when you put the three of them together and then mix it, in the grand scheme of a full EQ, Jimmy Page took all the top, John Bonham sat in the middle, and John Paul Jones moved all the air and the low end at the bottom. And when you put them all three together, it was like this massive mountainous sound. Um, so even now when I do my guitars, I'll record my guitars with very little gain, and I turn the treble like not all the way up but really bright and I roll a lot of the mids and lows off and then I do the bass the same way he explained it and you know obviously you heard Casabella um you know what I mean so it works for me it, I I thought it was genius and it's something I've remembered my all through my career it's incredible man thanks for sharing that um what, what was it like working with Bob Rock as your producer with the crew. I know you've been asked about this record ad nauseum, but in particular, uh, working with him, what did he bring to you uh, as a producer? Great songwriter. Um, you know, the cool thing about Bob, like we gave him demo tapes before we even went to Vancouver and he sat on them for like a month or so. And he had the opportunity to dissect them um, tone wise. Now we started playing around with the songs. We set up shop. A lot of these songs, we deconstructed them and then reassembled them. Some in some spots, Bob was like, love the intro, love the verse choruses and strong enough. 
or love the chorus, the verses. Eh. So we would take them apart and rework them again. Once we started recording them, though, and doing like guitar overdubs and things like that, Bob already had a preconceived notion. Like he had sat with everything and he would like make notes. So he knew like when we were doing like my guitar tracks, for example, he would say, okay, Crab, um, what we're going to do is I want to use the Saldano 100 watt SLO, but I want you to roll the gain off there. And, but we're also going to AB it with another, this amp over here. And I want you to put all the gain up there. And he, he just had all these things. And, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's kind of odd or whatever. And when I heard it back, I'm like, holy shit, this guitar sounds fucking huge. And, um, you know, he already knew, like in his head, even before we stepped foot in the studio, he knew exactly how he was going to record each guitar, what it was going to sound like at the end. Even something simple, like, which I thought was brilliant, um, like misunderstood and... Uh, if you listen to misunderstood that picking part in the beginning, it's a, like a 12 string acoustic. And what Bob had us do on some of this stuff was take a 12 string, take all the strings off and then restring the guitar, but only with six strings, like the regular six and then play the part and then take those strings off and then put the octave strings on and then play the part exactly the same, right? So that it was a 12 string, but what he would do is he would pan the one guitar to like, if you look at a clock, he would pan the one guitar at nine and the other one at three. And it just made that 12 string go and just sound huge. But it was actually two guitars played exactly the same way. You know what I mean? And it was just like this random thing. He's like, 12 strings are so hard to control in the studio. So this is how I do it. And I was like, fuck, it's so genius. Like, you know what I mean? He was, um, and then he had a little, he had a little jab that he would do. Like we'd go in the studio and I would do a vocal. And I would, I would think I was kicking ass. You know what I mean? And I'd go, uh, okay, man, I think that's it. And he'd hit the button in the control booth and he'd go, um, you think, is that it? Is, are you good with that? And I'd go, yeah, sounds good to me. What about, what do you think? He goes, no, whatever. If you think it's fine, that's okay. Great. And then I would sit there and go, motherfucker, you can't, you know what? Roll it one more time. But he would, he would do it in a way where, okay, if you think it's good, that's a take, you know? But he did it in a way where there was a little sarcasm in there. And it, and it, you you went, all right, you know what? Fuck off. I'm going to do it. Okay, watch. I'm going to do it even better. And he did it to all of us. He did it to Tommy, to Nikki, to Mick, to me. And it just pushed us that much harder to, you know what? Give him one more. Um, it, it's, it's funny. I believe if memory serves me right, like even the drum take that Tommy did on... Hooligan's Holiday was his last take. And Bob said, you know what, Tommy, just 
fuck off. Go for it. Don't think about anything. Just play whatever fucking comes to mind. And Tommy did that. He did that drum take. And then Bob went, dude, that may be the greatest fucking drum take I've ever heard in my life. That's it. Keeper. Let's move on. And it was so he just had this way of like needling you to do better. Incredible. I, I really love that record and everything that went into it. It's, it's to, apparent to me that it, it's a very well-crafted album, which I think it's going to endure and stand the test of time. Um, songs for me, like Till, Till Death Do Us Part, and even the one track you did off the Coordinary EP, it's called Friends, which again showcases your, uh, I guess, eclectic. Right. <laughs> it's like... This is the part that I don't understand when people hear Cassie Bella. I'm like, all right, let me give you a little thing, a little quick history lesson. Listen to the chords, maybe not the melody, but listen to the chords on Father, Mother, Son. Very Beatlesque. Listen to Misunderstood. Very Beatlesque. Listen to Friends. I'm admitting, stupidly Beatlesque. Then if you look at even Union, there was a song that we did called Everything's All Right, where all of the lyrics are basically Beatles song titles that I somehow managed to make sentences out of. Random makes those. So all through my career, there's been Beatles-esque references. And that's what I don't understand, how people sit there and go, wow, it's not really what I've expected from you. I, I've done a lot of things in my past that just went... Hey, I love the Beatles. Check this out. Do you know what I mean? So that's the part that's confusing to me. Hey, man. Well, I think they they uh, they haven't heard the whole the whole uh, spectrum, I guess, of your catalog, or they aren't as familiar with it. But yeah, I mean, they should check it out. Really, I think you're you're uh, you're an incredible talent. And John, uh, I'm sorry that we have to cut this short, but um, um hold on a minute, buddy, because I think let me check. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry well, about that. It's all good, man. I really appreciate your time. And uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm, I'm lying. Sonic dorms. No, we got. You're, you're good. Uh, my, my I'm next one is. <laughs> my next one is until one o'clock. All right. Cool. I, I don't want to. I, I hope this doesn't cut off. If nah, it does, we can get back in somehow. I, I said it for one thirty-five, so I don't know if it's gonna run out or something, but. Uh, all right. I really appreciate it, John. Thank you uh, for, for, uh, but um, all right, we'll keep this going for a little bit more than I guess. Uh, there's a song, there's a couple particular songs I wanted to ask you about that uh, you recorded with the crew uh, during follow-up sessions for uh, the 94 record. Uh, two songs called The Year I Lived in a Day and La Dolce Vida, I believe was the other one. La Dolce Vida. Vida right. Um, mm -hmm. I, I haven't heard, obviously those songs have never been heard uh, by anyone besides yourselves uh, during that time. Is there anything that you can recall in particular? I remember reading how they were really, uh, really aggressive sounding rock and roll oriented songs, but um, no, I, it, I haven't heard enough about them. <laughs> it's, it's, La Dolce Vita was more of a, you know, the only thing I could see, like, it, it, it reminded me of a little bit, it had elements of, like, No Quarter by Zeppelin meets something from, I know this is random, like, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon 
So it was a very moody kind of track that it wasn't, it wasn't that it was heavy. It was when you say heavy, heavy could, there's a lot of different connotations to the word heavy, heavy. What, like we were saying, it was like, there was moody. It would get really low and just kind of vibey. And then it would come up and then there was a little bit of a riff and then it would go way back down again. And, and it was just like six or seven minutes of this epic kind of idea. Um, we never really, I don't even know if we actually recorded it. We, we started working on it and there was some tapes, but when I left the band, I turned them back into the band. The other one, the year I lived today was something that we actually recorded or started recording and we had a vibe for it. And when I say heavy, it was like, in some ways, uh, there was a riff in it that I thought was awesome, that was reminiscent of Till Death Do His Part. Um, so it had like this kind of cool Sabbathy riff, but, um, you know, I know at one point we were goofing off with it. I was trying to sing it and come up with a melody for it. And then I know they kind of touched base on it with Vince. And then I think it just got put to bed and, and never to be heard from again. So. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I really love the work that you did uh, with those guys, man. I, I think uh, your vocal performances on a lot of those uh, tracks, like a song like till death do us part, for example, I think that's probably personally for me, uh, my favorite vocal that I've heard from you. I, I love the the structure of that song. The the at the end when it, it's kind of fading out and you hear that little riff come in that and oh, that that's just wonderful. Funny, I listen to that record on occasion with headphones, and I still I still hear things that I never heard before. It's the funniest thing, and I mean. I don't listen to a lot of my stuff. When I once I put it to bed, it goes to bed. Like that's it. I you know whatever. But on occasion, somebody will mention something. Or even when I was doing the the live '94 tour with my band, I had to go back and I was listening to things in the headphones, and I was and I could really hear like what Mick did or what I did on guitar, or, you know, just different things. And I'm like, oh fuck, I completely forgot about that part. Or you know what I mean? Or, oh, shit, that scream, whatever, you know. So th that was the cool thing. It was like it just seemed like every now and then, like like an onion, you'd peel something off and there'd be another part there that you just forgot about. So, uh, you know what? At the end of the day, I love the record. I, I, I'm very proud of it. I know it was a disappointment um, as far as sales go. Uh, and I know it was a disappointment to a lot of the Motley fans. but you know, it is what it is. We got through it. We had fun doing it. And that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it really was a, an entirely different beast, though, as far as like a, a, almost like a, a brand new band in a way. It, it was like a, a, this new monster that had been created with the four of you guys uh, in a room. And the fact that um, there was this like this, it was a whole nother animal, wasn't it, uh, from what crew were associated with prior to we didn't, we didn't plan it that way. Again, it was four guys that were being super creative at the same time in a room, jamming, putting shit together and everything just kind of developed the way it developed. And um, 
you know, so that was fun. That was exciting, you know, but it, it was just, again, it's the cards that I was dealt. I joined this massively successful band, you know, and we get into it. Now I, I was kind of doomed from the start. If you really look at it in hindsight, they had just signed a massive record deal with Electra. Um, Electra was not pleased from the get go that they like they just signed this deal and then got rid of their singer or he quit or whatever, who's ever, whoever you listen to. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't well received in the beginning. The band was fine. The managers and everybody was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like even Bob rock was like, what, what are you doing? Um, so we did the best that we could. Shortly after the record coming out, again, out of our control, Bob Krasnow, who was the president of Electra at the time, and his entire staff, 53 people, got fired by the brass above Bob at Warner Electra Atlantic, WIA, um, Time Warner. They just went, you're out. They fired everybody. So we were hung out to dry. And then everybody knows the history of, you know, Nikki's uh, interview with MTV. And it was just all these things, just blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think one of the biggest things was the fact that those three guys, I didn't even know Vince. So I really had nothing to say. But those three guys really took liberties attacking Vince. And it, it you know, it drew that line in the sand where you were either on Vince's side or you were on our side. So it was, it was a bunch of shit that was out of my control. I love the record. I'm proud of the record. I'll take my last breath and go, that's a great record. Sorry if you like it. If you don't, there you have it. But, um, you know, they've done very well on their own. I've, you know, I, I've got a good life. I, I've, I've done well. I'm still writing. There's still people like yourself that want to talk to me. So life is good, man. I'm, you know, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, man. I, I, I really believe you're, you're top tier. I think no matter what, uh, how, what, what people say, I think you're, you're, you're definitely up there with all the, all the giants of the rock and world, uh, rock and roll world. So I really I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, no problem, man. So, and, um, working with union, was that, uh, and Bruce Kulick in particular, was that like, uh, what was that experience like for you as far as like coming yeah. off of the crew thing? It, it it was a little, okay. So the thing with me was that la the first record I did with the crew was awesome. The second record I did with them really kind of scarred me a little bit because like I, I was kind of getting browbeaten for a year or two. You know, you can't sing. Your voice sounds weird you know, you're not a star. You don't look up to par with the rest of the guys. So when I first did the union thing, I wasn't even thinking of myself as a singer. I was like, I'll just play guitar, rhythm guitar, and co-write these songs with Bruce. To Bruce's credit, he was the one that pulled me aside and he goes, crap, get your hat out of your ass. You're a great fucking singer. You're going to fucking sing on this record. And I was like, you know, you know, kicking and screaming the whole way, but I went, all right, cool. Um, so, but working with Bruce was easy 
because we were both going through the exact same things at the exact same time. Both of us lost our gigs. Both of us lost the girls that we were with. And both of us were like, you know, we were both being considered the old bulls that should be put out to pasture. And, and our, so we just got together and we just, we would, you know, we'd sit and we'd talk about what his, you know, chick had done to him at that, you know, that day and what mine did to me that day. And, and uh, this is what I'm going through with Motley. And this is what I'm going through with Kiss. And we just wrote everything down and we just, you know, we, we put our anger, our happiness, our sadness, and we just poured it into these songs. Um, and we just moved with it. So it was very easy writing with him. And it still is. I love Bruce. You know, we're like brothers, right? You know, I'm oil, he's water. And, you know, sometimes we mix and we make a great salad dressing and other times we're completely separated, but I love the guy to death. He's an incredible guitar player, great songwriter, very underrated guitar player, I might add. Um, and, you know, we have uh, nothing but mad love and respect for each other. So even when I, I did this song, uh, I posted the video on one of my social pages. Bruce is one of the first to go, fuck crab, great tune, great job. You know what I mean? So we, we're, we're always aware of what the other's doing. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, like I said, a lot of respect for each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the second record you did with Union, uh, the, the Blue Room, uh, which has a song on it in particular called Dead. I really love, always have loved that track. That's, that's a phenomenal song. And, and that was kind of, in, in so many words, there was, you know, that was an indirect fuck you to a lot of those people that had written Bruce off, had written me off. Um, there was some people who I will remain nameless that were not being very kind to me or Bruce in the press. Um, they were taking pot shots at us, um, you know, and it still continues to this day. Um, and I was just like, you know what? You don't like the fucking, you know, I, I give a shit. You know what? You think you're intelligent and you just keep running your mouth. You know what? You mean nothing to me. And that was it. You mean your opinion and your viewpoints mean zero to me. I'm just doing what I do. And if you don't like it, that's why Baskin Robbins makes 32 flavors. Pick another flavor. Pick another channel. Change the station on the radio. I ain't moving. So. That's great, man. You, I have to ask you, there were a couple of songs. And again, I'm sure you've been asked about this uh, a lot, but there were a couple of songs that you had worked on with Mick Mars. He's been working on a solo record probably for about four or five years now, at the very least. Uh, it was, I believe it was like uh, Shake the Cage. And there was another one. Jimmy Blood. Jimmy Blood, yeah. Uh, they sound phenomenal, but uh, they, they were never released. Uh, are those songs ever going to come out in any way? Or do you, are you aware of that? Uh, those again, ones, again um, you know, Mick asked me to sing a couple tracks for him. I did it. Um, and I told him, you know, if there's a way that we could work our schedules out, 
and do more in the future. I'd love to do it. But unfortunately, his schedule, my schedule didn't permit. Um, so I did those tracks. I went on tour with the Dead Daisies. And, um, you know, at that point, at this point, you're kind of, you know, I, I don't mean this to sound whatever, but you're asking the wrong guy. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he redid those songs. I don't know if he's going to use them. I couldn't tell you. Um, all I know is I did them. We took some photos in the studio together, listening by the board, and they made the rounds and everybody got excited about, you know, Mick and John working together. Um, it was great seeing them. Um, I still talk to Mick on a regular basis, but I really, truly have no idea what he's going to do with those two songs. Couldn't tell you. Well, man, yeah, they, I mean, we only got snippets of, of both those tracks, but I remember that was probably about five years ago now and just being amazed. Uh, they sounded incredible. So, but I think you guys have incredible chemistry. Uh, let's I love you. Mick. I think Mick, again, is, you know, he's an underrated guitar player. Um, you know, and it's really weird. I was just thinking about this yesterday. You know, some of the guitar players that I played with, it's just fucking mind boggling. Bruce Bouillet in The Scream. Bruce Coolett in Union, Mick Mars, Motley Crue, uh, Richard Fortas and Doug Aldridge in the mm -hmm. Dead Daisies. You know what I mean? I've been really fucking blessed to be around. And even the two guys that I have in my solo band, uh, Phil Schaus and Jeremy Asbrock, are fucking great guitar players. So I've been very blessed to be able to record and work with some of the guys that I've worked with. It's um, it's pretty awesome. I, I, I got intimidated you know, because I did all the guitar solos on Casibella. And, uh, you know, I played it for Phil and Jeremy. And I was like, hey, check this out. Like, what do you think? You know, and I sent it to Richard Fortas and Doug Aldridge. And uh, I think Mick, Mick heard it. And uh, and they were all like, hey, dude, fuck, great job. You know what I mean? I'm like, yes. OK, cool. I got the stamp of approval from, you know, and then Bruce, Bruce Kolick as well. They all, they're all like great job on the guitar solos. So I, I, I felt pretty uh, proud. That was my, that was my self-indulging proud moment. But um, you know, it's the, the guitar players that I've played with are all fucking all brilliant. You know what I mean? All amazing guitar players. So I've been very blessed in that category. Yeah. I mean, what a compliment, right. From all those guys, like, and I agree, the solo on that is top-notch, so. It took me a while, but I eventually nailed it, so it was, uh, it was, a, it was definitely accomplishment on my part, so. Uh, John, just to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation um, and the way the music industry, whatever's left of it, is set up nowadays uh, and how difficult it is to get on radio and all these platforms and to be heard, is there a particular rock artist or, or heavy rock artist for you in, in particular that to you is keeping rock and roll alive and well? Um, I mean, you know what, dude, I, I love so much shit. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's, I can, you know, I, I respect anybody that can go out and do their thing. You know what I mean? And 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 have some success, because to be honest with you, I mean, as much as we're talking right here about the Motley thing, 
I mean, if you really look at it, if I can be truthful, um, if you really look at my career, I haven't achieved it yet. I really haven't had that Dr. Feelgood or that walk this way or that brown sugar. Like I haven't had one of those songs. I haven't had of jaded. Um, you know what I mean? So I, it, it's evaded me from my entire career. Um, and, and, you know, I, so I, I respect anybody that really does their thing. And I'm going to pick somebody. You're probably going to go, fuck, it's so left field. Obviously, we know about the Zeppelins and the Queens and the Aerosmiths and, you know, all that stuff. I, I, obviously, Steven Tyler, I don't know how he does it. The guy's 70 plus years old and he sings better now than he did in, you know, his first and second, third, you know, records. I don't know how he does it. So I admire him. But the people that I admire are, this one might throw everybody for a curveball, but I, I was just talking about him the other day. Kid Rock. I love the fact that, to me, Kid Rock is a fucking genius for the simple reason that he went into kind of a rap rock thing. So he's got this whole little niche or little slice of real estate in rap. He's also got a slice of real estate in rock. And then somehow he's managed to actually have a slice of real estate in country music. And he's also had a slice of real estate in what we call classic music. You know, I, I went and saw Bob Seger here in Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena and Kid Rock walked on stage with him. I go and I told my wife, I go, that guy is a fucking genius. He can he can step in and out of any one of those categories and be successful. It's brilliant. It really, truly is brilliant. Prince was another one. He could do R&B. He could do rock. He could do, you know, rap, whatever. He just, you know, so that I, I look at guys like that and I just really respect the fact that they have figured out like and owned a little slice of real estate in all of those markets where the thing that's beautiful about Kid Rock is he can do anything he wants to. If he did a country song tomorrow, nobody would be surprised. If he did a heavy metal song, nobody would be surprised. Do you know what I mean? Rap, no surprises there. Um, you know what I mean? If he sat down and he wrote a song and recorded it with Don Henley from the Eagles, no shock. So it, that to me is fucking awesome. And, you know, I hope that I can establish myself someday Um you know, as just an overall, all around, all encompassing musician. That's really it. And maybe make enough to buy a bottle of Jameson and a pack of cigarettes. Whatever. <laughs> Fair enough, man. That's great. I, I, uh, I'm ruined for you. And um, my last question to you, man, is there anything I know you're talking about how you're trying to you, you haven't quite written or, or recorded that one song. Uh, uh, that overall definitive song for yourself. But is there a song that you feel at this point is your greatest accomplishment or achievement in your career thus far? Um, 
you know, it's hard to pinpoint one song. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, just as far as maybe stepping out of the box, um, any box that I was in, because everybody goes, well, it doesn't sound like Scream, doesn't sound like Motley, doesn't sound like Union, doesn't sound like the Dead Daisies. This Casabella is a complete maybe departure from anything I've done before. Um, you know, but I, I really have a lot of songs that I, I, you know, I love the song that I did a few years back, acoustic song, Crash. Mm-hmm. I love If I Had a Dime um, that I wrote with this friend of mine, Dan, Dan Carcos. Um, I love Father, Mother, Son. Um, the, you know, Misunderstood, I think was, you know, like just a beautifully epic song with the string. I mean, we had a 53 piece orchestra in the studio with us. So, you know what I mean? So there's so many different ones along the way that I, I just sit there and I go, wow, that I, you know, I kind of, I kind of t- tapped into something there. Um, and I think I'm still doing it. Like I still, you know, and I think everybody does it like, fuck, you know, what do you got to do to get over that hump? You know what I mean? Like I haven't, and I just read an interview with Ozzy Osbourne, you know, when he did his last record and, and he even said, he goes, I still haven't written my Sergeant Pepper's record. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think everybody's always striving to do, you know, whatever your, whatever your, thing is whether it's you know the sergeant peppers record or zeppelin four physical graffiti if it's aerosmith rocks if it's queen night at the opera you've always got that one thing where you're like all right i gotta fucking whether it's musically sales wise whatever i gotta top this record and you know i've got quite a few of those that i are landmark records for me that i would love at someday if somebody looks back at my musical catalog, they sit there and they go, fuck, you know what? This, this was his, this was his crowning achievement. And I don't think I've done it yet. Hey, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and uh, I really hope you make an entire album. I know things are way different than they ever. <clears throat> no, it's coming. I, yeah. it, you know, honestly, dude, I was saying earlier, like most of your bands over the last 10 years, the ones that I've done, um, again, you know, you're not going to see a lot of John Karabi records in a Walmart, Kmart, even in some mom, mom and pop stores, you know, they're just not there. So over the last 10 years, the records that I have sold, I've sold through johnkarabi.com or ratpack.com. I was I'm not with ratpack anymore, but you know, so I sold them through a website, Amazon or at shows. Same with the Dead Daisies. Majority of the records sold were sold pre-orders through Amazon or the deaddaisies.com. And then we sold a shit ton of them at the shows. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm eventually gone. All these songs will be on vinyl and CDs. It's just I'm kind of taking my time and figuring out, you know, the whole scene, this, the, the, the whole scenario and figuring out how to do it cost effectively to me and cost effectively to the fans. But I, I will eventually have vinyl and CDs for sale. 
but I'm just taking my time before I jump into it. All right. Wonderful. Hey, John, thanks again for taking uh, this time to come on the show with me and, and uh, give this show a chance. Uh, this is a passion project of mine and uh, this was a big deal for me. So I really appreciate you coming on really. And uh, you always have a platform here. Uh, I say that humbly uh, here on Sonic Dorms and uh, love to have you back on someday when you have something uh, new to release. Awesome, brother. Well, I'll keep, I'll, I'll keep your phone number and I'm sure with, you know, the future releases that I do, um, Doug and New Ocean's going to be reaching out, you know, to a, a lot of you guys again. So, um, but I've got your number and I'll save it. And next time I have a scoop, <laughs> I'll give you a buzz. Appreciate it, man. You, you don't mind if I save yours uh, with all due respect? Yeah, no, no, no. It's all, right, it's all good. All right, John. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Awesome, brother. Thank you.